Okay, this next phase, uh, we are going to spend some time talking about Twitter and actually invite Karen to share a little bit about Twitter. And there's a couple weird things that are going on. Some folks are not seeing all the tweets that are coming through. Um, Karen's going to talk about Twitter Fall. This is basically, it's like a window into Twitter. It's another site, and by putting in a search query for our hashtag, uh, it, it should allow for anybody who is tweeting with that hashtag to be able to have their, um, their tweet visible there. So we're going to, to do that and then um, take a look at a couple videos, and we're going to practice the process of the back channel with Twitter. So Karen Montgomery. Yay, hi. Um, just to start, I guess everybody was trying to set up if they hadn't already, and I see a lot of people in Twitter fall already, and you can always tell the, the advanced Twitter users because they use not only our hashtag, but they have other hashtags they're attaching, so you know that they're familiar with the whole hashtag thing. Basically, the hashtags organize Twitter so that you can search for a conversation based on that hashtag. So um, as Wes, I'm sure, mentioned this morning, the uh, hi, Brian P. Cummings tweeting, tweeting for the first time from Helena. Um, you can see that hashtag pound MT vision, Montana vision. Um, if you search for that on Twitter, if you search that on a variety of different ways that you can access Twitter, what it does is it follows all of the people and pulls up for you just those tweets that have that hashtag. So hashtags have become very popular for conversations. Um, I, I'm involved in a conference here every year, the METC conference, and for the last couple of years, just like many conferences, they've picked hashtags for people at, at the conference. So as they're tweeting, they're adding the hashtag. So if you're not at the conference and you're, you're following on Twitter, you can uh, look for that hashtag if you know the hashtag and you can follow some of the things that are happening. If you're involved in the conference, um, it's being used quite a bit as a back channel discussion. So you, if, for example, I'm sitting in the keynote and I want to put out uh, information about what that session is about and what the person is talking about by using that hashtag, I can follow and see, and others can follow me and see what's being discussed on that and that. And it's often a good way, too, to take questions from people who aren't physically in the room. Um, so we're using Twitter Fall, and I know that that's up somewhere in the room. I, um, and those of you that are tweeting with the hashtag, it's just pulling right into Twitter Fall only those tweets from Twitter that have that hashtag. So for the most part, it's people involved in this particular workshop. Um, but there may, you know, as the day goes on, people may start to see that if they follow someone who's using that hashtag and say, hey, what's this all about? And look for that and, and then also share with that and, and provide information. So um, is everyone seeing is that what's up on the screen there, Wes? You've got a couple places. Yeah, let's pause yeah. for a second because we've got a couple tweets about no audio. Kalispell, are you all not? Okay. Are you all not able to hear the audio? Of course, that's a really good question, isn't it? They can't hear. <laughs> Can you really not hear me? This is just a test to see if your audio is working. Can you hear me now? <laughs> I feel dumb. Okay. Maybe there may, there may have been something. We didn't change anything with our configuration uh, in the room that I know of, but there may have been um, a video change. Yes, Peggy is confirming we cannot hear you. Let me see if we... 
Okay. Yeah, right. Right. I don't think so. Well, go, we go ahead and proceed. Right? We've, we've got our technical people looking okay. at it. They're working on it so as we speak. So, you're going to have to navigate because I'm not sure we can see my content. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but, but one of the things, if you're new to Twitter, that you want to do, obviously, is follow people. That's the purpose, is following people and then having people follow you so that it becomes a conversation. And... There are lots of, as I mentioned, lots of applications. Some people enjoy using TweetDeck, which brings Twitter to their desktop. Um, I don't want to brag about my iPhone, but I know Verizon's getting it now. Um, I use Twitterific on my iPhone most of the time when I tweet, and the reason I do that is because I have a couple of Twitter accounts that I use, and it lets me bounce back and forth easily. Um, I use also on Chrome something called Chrome Bird to track my tweets. But there's a lot of ways once you get into Twitter that you can follow and tweet and keep track of what's happening. But Twitter fall actually for today, for this group, if you want to start following each other, um, if you're in Twitter fall, if you go next to someone who's tweeted, and there's a little arrow on the right side, if you click that, it gives you a lot of options. It gives you the option to direct message that person, to follow that person, to favorite their tweets, to reply to them, to retweet what they said, to, to send a report, and to view their, view, that, view their profile. So, Wes, can you show? Yeah, you've got it up there. Okay, it's hard to see on the big screen. It's dark, um, but so it's... If, you're, if you look down through this list, these are people who are participating with us today. You can easily find people to start following. Now, if you're in Twitter fall, obviously, if they're using the, the hashtag, you're going to see them in here. But what this will let you do is start to build that professional learning network so that beyond today, uh, you'll start following these people and seeing their tweets. Uh, so it's a quick way, if you're new to Twitter, to find some people today. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and look for people to follow. The easiest way to find people if you know their username, you can search for them. If you don't, often people will allow when they set up their accounts to be searched by their email. So if you know someone's email address, you can also search by name. Uh, but I caution you when you search by name, if you're new to this, make sure that you click that person's profile, read about them, and make sure it's the right person that you want to follow because often the name may show up. For example, there is another Wesley Fryer, but it isn't W. Fryer um, that Wes has as his his, his twi Twitter name. So you'll want to make sure if you search by name that it's the right person that you're following. Um, because you can, you know, see that first one that pops up, hit follow, be following, not the person you had intended to follow. Um, so Karen, can you talk about the difference between a direct message and a reply? Because we need to talk about what's public and, and then what's private. Right. Because email we think of whenever, as private. Right. Whenever you tweet, um, if you submit or send a tweet, everyone following you will see that tweet. Um, it ha you know, it, it's the, your followers see your tweets automatically. Um, it pops up in their timeline of tweets that they see. Um, if I send a message back to someone, uh, for example, if I want to reply to them, I would have that, never seen the ant, at before their name. So if I was replying, if you see that little at, uh, at W. Fryer or at K.P. Dent, I'm looking at this here, uh, at C Cindy um, Kennedy, 
that means that I've replied back to their tweet and it's letting them know. And so in a lot of the um, applications that you can use, it will give you a message that somebody sent you a reply. So all of the apps pop up in a place. And so if you're using something like TweetDeck, you'll see all of the messages that are directly at you where they, someone's replied to you. Now a direct message is very much just like if I text you from my phone. It only goes to you and it comes in, and you can reply back to me. If I direct message a person on Twitter, I am having a somewhat, you know, there's arguments as to whether how private that is, but a private conversation. So if I wanted to let someone know that they could call me, I wouldn't necessarily want to put that out on my tweets. Here's my phone number, call me, because everyone who calls me would get that information. But if I want, was communicating with somebody one-on-one -on -one and I wanted to send them my information and we're tweeting, I could send them a direct message and it only goes to that person. Um, so I do, there are some people that I know that are not very good at checking their email, don't answer their phone, but boy, when they get a direct message on Twitter, they're right on top of it. I don't know who you're talking um, about, Karen. <laughs> so um, it, it can be very helpful um, if you're trying to get one-on-one -on -one with someone, you can direct message them if you know that they're a Twitter user. You can start a conversation in public and then move it privately very easily by direct messaging someone. Um, Karen, can you talk about that, oh, can you talk about the difference with screens? Because when we're on Twitter.com and you're logged in, can you talk a little bit about that? And then over on the side, we've got the direct message. So uh, I've got the the regular Twitter screen up. What tell, tell them what that means when they're just viewing Twitter.com? And we because we had some questions. People said, "How do I see my tweets?" Right, right. Well, and and. If you just signed up, I'm not sure that it automatically has what you have, Wes, because you have to go to that new version of Twitter. The old version is a little different. Oh, right. Um, you know, and you can go back to the old one. But if, if you have this up, what you'll see is that you'll see your tweets, how many you've sent out, uh, the people you're following, your followers. Twitter has advanced in the last three, five years, however long it's been around, to really be... Um, catering toward using Twitter. I mean, so many people are using it. I mean, how many times do you watch TV, go to a store, do something, and they say, follow us on Twitter? Uh, Twitter and Facebook seem to be where marketing is happening quite a bit. But Twitter's gotten uh, more and more useful for those people who are trying to use it for their professional learning network. Uh, it'll give you um, suggestions of who to follow based on who you're following. So your followers may follow someone you are not following, and you can find that whenever you log in. But if you look on the left side under what's happening, uh, you'll see a timeline, and that's a timeline of all the people that um, you follow. And as they are tweeting, you'll see those tweets. There's a mentions, which is what I was talking about before, an at. Every time someone puts your Twitter name with the at symbol uh, before it, that will pop up as a mention. A retweet means that you saw a tweet that you liked, and you tweeted it uh, out to your followers. So you saw a tweet from someone you follow, you retweet it. Uh, so you're passing it along. It's like forwarding a message. Um, you can look on Twitter to see retweets by other people, retweets that you've made, and your tweets that have been retweeted, if that's interesting to you. Um, you can also search on Twitter. Um, you can do a variety of ways of searching on topic, by hashtag, uh, searching for people. And then you can also look at lists. 
lot of people make lists out of their of the people that they're following. So you may be listed at some point as an a person who's an ed tech leader in Montana, for example, or you may be listed by as, as by either what you do professionally, or you may be on a list personally. Uh, but many people create lists so that they can then track that list and keep track of the people on that list based on a particular subject or topic or, or profession. That, that cover that. And then all of these things are also up at the top, across your toolbar at the top. You can look at your profile. This is where you can put your profile picture if you're new. You want to put an avatar or a picture. Uh, you can at any time change your username as long as the username that you choose isn't already taken. So if you put a username out there and after a while you say, you know, I don't really like this name. It doesn't really reflect me. I'd like to pick a different name. You can change your username. It's actually attached to the email address. Um, if your email changes, you can update your email. Um, and so your profile has all those basic things for your account. Yeah. Why don't we do the, that Twitter in 60 second activity that we were talking about? Basically, okay. it's hard to understand this and the value. I'm really glad that we're using Twitterfall because, as I mentioned at the start, helping you connect to other folks here locally as well as others outside um, your current professional learning community, that, that's a, a top goal for today. Uh, for those of you that are in our conference um, who are Twitter users, we want to give you a 60-second challenge to, to explain either the value of Twitter or how you explain how you use Twitter and it's valuable to you. So uh, we'll start with Karen, and then we'll uh, see if anybody in Missoula here wants to, wants to take a stab at that. And then I don't know if we've got folks in um, uh, our other remote sites in Kalispell or Billings that want to take a stab at it. So Karen, what's your Twitter in 60 seconds? Twitter in 60 seconds. Um, it's a professional learning network for me. Uh, I follow people that I feel are interesting and have, you know, education, technology-focused tweets, but also follow people that have other interests that I have. Um, it connects me with resources very quickly, if I, and, and also with companies. If, for example, I'm using a software or using something on my computer, and I have a glitch. Many of those those types of um, companies are out there on Twitter, and if I tweet, I'm having trouble with, say, Poll Everywhere. Um, I use that quite a bit, and if I say I'm having trouble with Poll Everywhere, I will get almost instantaneous <laughs> response from Poll Everywhere because someone is out there looking at their tweets and. They have become very, uh, many companies have become very responsive to what they see on Twitter because they realize how public a, an issue can be very quickly. So it is a great place to, um, to get some help from not only people, but also from companies that you may be dealing with or, or may be experiencing some difficulty with. Okay. Uh, anybody here in Missoula that uses Twitter want to just share? A quick 60 seconds about either how you explain it to people. Have you had to explain it to your spouse? Have you had to tell, this is, you know, what did you say? Offer advice for others here. I, I have something like I can share. Uh, I don't use this Twitter as much day to day, although it's always a great source of amusement and professional development. But where I think Twitter is most useful for me is when I'm ever at, when I, ever at a conference. So if I go to the National ISTE conference or there's a Northwest version of the same conference, um, it, 
oftentimes it's hard not to get lost in one of those larger conferences because you don't know where the action is or you don't know where the critical discussion is. And the other thing is, is that if you're uh, if there are um, you know A-listers there, as I put them, and Wes, sorry, you're an A-lister, and I want to make a connection with you there, like it's a lot easier for me to tweet to you first. Maybe you're at a conference and, and maybe you're speaking or even doing something a little more uh, interpersonal, a small group. Um, at, at ISTE every year, there's always a blogger's lounge, and that's kind of an intimidating group if you don't know someone inside of there, but you can find one of those individuals that's, that's even talking at a table or having a smaller conversation. I find it's a really great way to keep up on, on something that's going on at a conference. So in the same way, we have hashtags going on here at almost every conference that's even sort of related to technology. There's always a hashtag that you can follow to kind of get the idea of where the interesting stuff's going on at the conference, and I think Twitter is, is absolutely perfect for keeping the track of others, at, at especially at a very large event. Somebody else want to chime in? I did for one year communication with the football coach. All my parents and players follow me, follow our football account, and I can track the changes and late buttons. But it's a, we just use it one direction. Awesome. So, you know, tools are protein. I, that's a nice Scrabble word if you're a Scrabble fan. I didn't know what protein meant. I think it's from the, is it the Greek or Roman god Proteus? Anybody know? Proteus. Proteus. Google that. What does Wikipedia say? It's one of those guys. Um, it means flexible. Basically, it can do a lot of things. So it does work as a one-way broadcast channel. And we've got uh, the Middell Public Schools using it with their public relations department. They'll put out uh, school closings, um, other kinds of things like that, football teams. So, you know... It is an interactive environment. It thrives. The Twitter works really well interactively, but it can also be used as a as a more of a broadcast medium. So yes. I have a question. I started doing this. It's great if you have people who have the technology, but there's kids who don't have cell phones. There's kids who don't have computers in their home. It's hard to believe, but, you know, it happens. Absolutely. Or don't have Internet. Right. And so you kind of have to be careful somewhat because when they get excluded. Right. And that's, I'm glad you brought up the digital divide because in Twitter we're using this today. Um, and we're going to talk about some other examples of back channel in your classroom because I wouldn't suggest using Twitter right out of the gate uh, and maybe not ever in class. I do not use Twitter with my pre-service teachers that I teach. We use Etherpad. There's different sites we'll talk about, which it can be a, more of a private space. Um, so, But as far as the digital divide, um, how do you all handle pencils in the classroom today if kids don't bring them? How do you handle that? You provide one, right? You'll say, oh, my gosh, you didn't bring your pencil? Nobody can use pencils today. You know, we really need to move in the, in the school to thinking about technology more as air and water and electricity. And I really think we can, and this is uh, Tim Wilson, who is in, in Osseo in the Twin Cities area, is a tech director there. Tim Wilson, is, that's his, tweet, his Twitter handle. Um, they're doing a bring your own device initiative which is challenging but that's what colleges do now right at college here at the university can you bring your own device absolutely the network set up that way it's set up for a public network probably and then a private one 
Um, you know, I, I believe there are moral responsibilities here as far as education and what we provide with, for kids. And it's not, even in our community in Edmond, which people may typify as, you know, a wealthy suburb, we've got a, a fair number of kids without computers at home and without a connection. So when the teacher says, I want you guys all to word process this, bring this type to class, it's like, wait a minute, you know, are you remembering the kids that don't have connection? So when we t- hear from rural, especially superintendents, passionate about blended learning and the doors that, that it opens, you'll hear them talk about how important it is that the school steps up. Because the family, you know, in a lot of cases, I mean, when, when one-to-ones happen in Floyd to Texas, that's the first computer that went in a lot of the homes before. There's responsibilities the school has there because suddenly you've opened a big window into a lot of stuff that you can't control. So anybody else have a thought about that as far as the digital divide issue or want to, um, Karen's in a radically different situation for me. Uh, Karen, how many schools in St. Louis are one-to-one? And as you sort of look at the spectrum of school choice there, because we, we, we have yeah. zero in Oklahoma City right now, zero. We've got Norman Public Schools with one middle school, um, but none of our metro area publics or privates have laptop initiatives. Yeah, we, um, well, the majority of the ones that I'm familiar with here are independent I'm not muted, am I? Nope, you're good. We hear you. Okay. Uh, our independent or private schools, that tends to be where the push started. Uh, I know of at least 12 independent schools here in the St. Louis area that have been one-to-one for several years. Um, we are starting to see movement in the public schools. Uh, just over the border in Illinois, I've worked with several public schools that were able to get EQT2 or SRTT funding last year to put one-to-ones in the schools. Uh, I just recently sent a proposal to a district just in rural Missouri, just not too far from here, about an hour away, who are looking at, uh, it's not an iPad, it's called a HiPad. It's an um, Android operating system iPad knockoff, if you will, that they're looking at putting in with all of their high school students. Um, and I have seen several schools that are now allowing students to bring cell phones. iPod touches have become something that a lot of schools are allowing, and the main reason for that is because there's no telephone. But the phone piece of that tends to discourage a lot of schools from going with the cell phone piece. But iPod touches, um, iPod, you know, and, and being able to do some of the things with that on wireless or, um, you know, that, that a phone could do, but without that phone piece. Um, and then, you know, as Wes mentioned, you know, bringing devices in, a lot of schools are looking at ways to do this. Um, with netbooks and the cost of netbooks now, the prices come down so drastically. And, and we recommend a lot of times, too, that schools, if they're looking at ways to add technology that the communication start very early and often with parents because many parents are looking at buying devices themselves for their student and it's nice if you can as a school communicate and say in a year we are going to be looking at these devices for students hold off buying anything uh, until that time and then give parents some specifications of what the school is looking at doing and you can you can oftentimes do a bring your own making sure that you have similar ge- generation of machines. Uh, but you always have to keep, keep in mind, too, that 
the teachers in those situations. Uh, if you go with different platforms, if you go with a variety of devices, um, if you have teachers that are struggling with one device and you know in everybody's hands, how are they going to uh, really be able to use several devices? So you really have to you know communicate often and, and make sure that those those projects are really um, you know laid out very strategically. One of the most critical pieces of all this are the teachers, okay? And that's why we're working today to use the technology, and we're about to look at some videos. We're going to ask you to post from, from Twitter using our hashtag, and we'll have some conversations about these videos. Uh, I put Moodle up on the screen. How many of you use some kind of learning management system at your school? Okay, what do you think about that? Positive, negative? Awesome. You have to have it. It's a platform. When you build a building, you don't start without a foundation. And so in our one-to-one, -one, we have 20 one-to-one -one projects right now in Oklahoma, and I, from my outsider's view, believe that the schools who are not only the most successful in year one, which is just the beginning, but going forward are those that have started with a learning management system, like a, a Blackboard, WebCT, Desire to Learn. Moodle is open source. Does it mean it's free? No. Somebody has to host it. There has to be a server for it. Somebody has to maintain it. And so, you know, you can actually contract with Remote Learner and other companies. That's what Middell Public Schools is doing. There are costs, but you're not sort of held at the neck by this company with licensing fees like many of our universities are, you know, once you are invested in it, it can become very expensive, uh, even to ask for more seats. You know, we're expanding. we got a new school, you know, virtual school, stuff like that. So there's a lot of things to think about. What I would like for us to now do is I'm going to uh, show a video. Um, and what we're talking about here is the world has changed, right? The world has gone digital. And I'm going to show a video called Did You Know 4.0. But let's look at some pictures from yesterday at Barnes & Noble, right? Here is uh, Barnes & Noble Missoula, who's seen the new Nook color. It's a full touch screen, not like the, the um, palm, you know, this kind of the bottom. You could just touch at the bottom. It's full touch, and it says, touch the future of reading, right? What's well, the present of reading. How many free e-books are available today? Anybody know? Millions? Project Gutenberg alone has tens of thousands. I'm thinking like 30,000, something like that. So um, I believe the device should not just let us consume. It shouldn't just be about let me get it in that, you know, static form. It should also allow me to create and to share. Uh, how much does this device cost? Anybody know? $249 is right there. I'm not in any way connected to Barnes & Noble. I make no money if you, you know, go, go out and purchase a Nook. Um, how much does the app for the Nook cost on your Android device or your iPhone or your iPad? Zero dollars. Who here has read an e-book of some kind? Anybody? Okay. My, we had a family reunion every three years. The Friars, we started in a kind of this leg of the family from uh, a tree farm in, in South Dakota, outside Huron, South Dakota. And so every three years, the Friars get together. Well, we had a bunch of uh, Friars that became teachers in Hawaii, and we've all saved up. We had a Hawaii vacation uh, two summers ago. My wife and I and our kids are in the car driving to the airport. We're going to get on the flight um, to go home, and she's finished her book. She's able to download a new book right in the car onto her Kindle. Oh, my gosh. That's a big deal. Karen, do you have a story about big uh, e-books being a big deal? Uh, 
certainly. Um, my actually, I have a new story. Why you haven't heard? My husband came home last night. He's a UPS driver, so technology for him is a dyad board and the tracking they do on his truck. Um, I did upgrade him. I got him to upgrade to an iPhone in December, so he's he's learning some things about iPhone. But he came home yesterday and said that he delivered a brand new color Nook to a to a customer, and his question to me was, Why do you need to read a book in color? <laughs> so it was just kind of interesting. That was his take on this. But we um, we bought a Kindle for his mother for Christmas between with his brother and sister. We we went in together. We bought her the new the, the Kindle, the just the uh, Wi-Fi enabled, not the 3G, because my father-in-law is never going to pay for 3G on a, on a Kindle. But um, when we went over to set it up, when I went over to help her, uh, she's 77 years old. Uh, we went into the into the room with a computer. She does not have an email address, so we had to use my father-in-law's email for her Amazon account. And I helped her set it up. As soon as we got going, you know, the Kindle said "Welcome, Elsie," and she was just so tickled that it, it knew she was there. And then I said to her, um, "Do you have a book you'd like to read?" And you know, I've worked with a lot of teachers and a lot of people. And, and when you're showing somebody new technology, there's always that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Kind of conversation that can happen. She looked at me and she said, "I really like to read Secretariat." And I thought, "Wow, she she knows what she wants to read." So we went we went to the app store and I showed her the difference between a Kindle book and a regular you know print book and, and make sure that it's the Kindle edition. We downloaded it within seconds. It was there, um, and she was off to go read her Kindle. Um, so I was there recently, just uh, last week, and she said, "Now, if I want to buy more books, how do I do that? Because I've used up my gift cards. We gave her forty dollars worth of gift cards for Christmas, along with her Kindle, and the books are about seven to eight dollars a piece. So she's already downloaded four or five books. Um, so she she was asking questions about putting in credit cards or buying new gift cards or how she was going to handle that. So um, it's just it's amazing to watch someone." Embrace that, and and those the books. You know, I don't have a Kindle. I love the I, you know, the whole thing. I do read on my iPhone on the Kindle app. Um, but really, it's been exciting to watch her. She didn't know she wanted this, but now that she has it, she loves it. Good. Well, I bought a couple of local picture books about Montana. Well, Shep, the story of Shep, and then um, there was another one that's a tribal story about how the animals gave fire. And I, I'll bring it tomorrow. And the thing to realize is it's not either or. Okay, we're not going to lose all books. We're not going to lose the family Bible that's been in your. You know, we're still going to have books. Think about what a big deal this is. Think about Luther. Think about excommunication from the Catholic Church for translating the Bible into German from Latin. Think about how restricted information has been. Who did an Eric search or microfish search in college? I had to do one at North Texas last semester for my dissertation. The guy actually was showed me the device, and it was going to be 10 cents each page I printed. It was a dissertation from 2005 that wasn't electronic, and I said, can we scan this to PDF? And he's, oh yeah, well that's right here. Oh, how much does that cost? Oh, it's free. So okay, so I sat down and did that. But think how difficult that was, and how proud you were of yourself, you know, getting your microfish Eric search stuff right. It, it really is a big deal to have have this kind of access, and it's all about what we do with it. It's not just woohoo, I got a an ebook. I mean, are we doing some good discussion about? 
you know, Alice in Wonderland? Are we delving into that? Are we asking good questions, doing critical thinking, stuff like that? The other sign of the times, go ahead, Chair. Oh, I was going to say, I had a conversation yesterday with a school, and they are looking at replacing the paperback novels that they spend a lot of money on, and many of those are free. Uh, and, and you know, a lot of schools are looking at things like iPad. You know, would we do this? And, and our conversation really centered around what was the iPad originally intended for and what was the Kindle originally intended for or the Nook? It was to read books. And so why go to the expense of buying iPads if what you're really trying to do is replace the books? Because reading on, on a, a regular laptop can be very difficult because you, the, the, right now, even with PDF versions, you have to slide up and down to be able to read. With, a, with an e-reader, um, students are able to annotate. They're able to click and, and look up words right on the spot. They're able to take notes if you, if you have you know, uh, the, the, those things in place for reading. And, and so really, you know, I, I don't like to talk people in or out of any technology, but what I wanted her to really think about was what is your purpose? If your purpose is to replace the Scarlet Letter and some of the English anthologies with, with, that you're spending a lot of money on, uh, why would you go to the expense of, of a $600 device when a $139 device might actually be a better fit for what you're going to do with the device? And um, so we kind of left it at, you know, doing a feasibility study to see because they're spending lots and lots of money every few years on paperbacks um, that are just being torn apart and destroyed in students' backpacks. Will Richardson showed us this last Monday in Amarillo. Go to kindle.amazon.com, log in, and all the highlights and notes that you've made on all the books on your account, they're all here. Oh my gosh, I didn't either. Is that exciting? Yeah, that's very exciting. So that means I not only get to access my notes that I take, which, by the way, I use that on an iPod Touch and an iPad. The, the, the books cost money, but the app is free. I can also see popular highlights. Someday I hope they'll have groups. So my class could be reading, you know, uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or uh, Alice in Wonderland, or whatever, and we could collabor collaboratively have our notes together there. Um, well, that's just a website. It's kindle.amazon.com. And so if you log in, then it will uh, let you access the, the ones that you take notes on. Um, one more local sign of the times. This was a sign at Staples last yesterday. Uh, looking for sales associates. Sales experience optional. Computer skills required. <laughs> so, you know, increasingly. But what does that mean? What does it mean I'm computer literate? Does that just mean I know Microsoft Office? Well, that's really just that's, that's a foundation is, is word processing and spreadsheet and presentation, but there's so much more to it than that. So here's what we're going to do. I would like for you to open up um, either Twitter Fall or just open up Twitter, and I would like for you, as we watch this approximately five-minute video, I would like for you to reflect using the hashtag... MT Vision. So how does this going to actually work? If you're just on Twitter.com and you're logged in, you can put that hashtag, MT Vision, first, and then whatever you would like to say. Who has seen this video, did you know, 4.0? I bet there's folks that have seen it. So we have folks who, who have seen it. What are the standout takeaways for you, the statistics that really get your attention, 
Or what do those mean, right? Because it's kind of easy today to make this point. The world's changing. The world's changing. The more challenging question is, what do we do as a result? What do I go back to my school now and do as a result of these changed resources that are available, technologies to collaborate and communicate? So does anybody have a question or care anything to add for our assignment for folks? Because this is, this is Twitter practice that, you, that you're getting, back channel practice. Anything? All right, here we go. This is a year old, by the way, October 2009.
Okay, all the videos that we're sharing are linked on our site. I'm going to give you two minutes. I would like for you to post at least one tweet about that video. And I would also like to invite you to talk to folks at your table about what your takeaways were, either the statistics that stood out or the action that you think needs to be taken as a result of some of these trends that that video highlights. Okay? You've got two minutes. And also feel free to reply to others if you want to in our Twitter fall, if you want to do that. But I'd like everybody to post at least once. Assist your neighbor. If they're not sure what to do here, help them out. <laughs> Hashtag in, add the pound MT vision, and that way other people will be able to see it too. <laughs> what are some of your responses to this idea about attending? to two things at once. Was anybody comfortable attending to the video at the same time as Twitter? Who was not? Who found it distracting to do that? Okay. Um, it's going to vary and depend. Okay. Some students are going to find a back channel wonderful because it's a place they can engage. I mean, we've had kids off task forever. It's not something new with cell phones, right? I mean, how many classroom doodles have you seen in the class that were pretty good and you realized that maybe they weren't fully attending you know, to what you were doing. Um, one of the reasons I like back channels so much is it. I like transformative uses of technology. That means not just stuff that we did before, but things that now... Um, we can do that we, we couldn't do before. And this happens all the time in class. All the time in class, I have the, the experience of not having enough time to ask a lot of good uh, gear from, from different students. I was going to see if maybe I could find an example. You know, we've got more kids in the class than we have time to ask questions. So... Here's an example from last spring in March, and 
for each of my sections, we used a free site called Pirate Pad. And here are conversations that the students had, the questions that I posed. And then over here on the side, this is kind of like the back and forth, you know, not off task stuff. I like, I love big truck tacos, you know. I like smaller tacos, less category, I mean, less calories. We've got two spaces to build a document together, all right? This uses a tool that uh, Google has purchased called Etherpad, etherpad.com is the site. Uh, Karen, if you don't mind putting that into our uh, back channel. There are different sites like PiratePad, TypeWith.me, Sync.in, iEtherpad. All of those allow teachers to create free back channels. And I end up learning stuff about my students that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. But can it be distracting? Yeah. Can it be challenging? Yes. Do you want to do it all the time? Probably not. But it also creates this archive that we can go back and look at later. So as we share links and we put in things, we, we get to go back to it. Anybody want to share aloud? Um, maybe not just a statistic that stood out, but a thought about action that, that should be taken. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because that's more where we're going to be tomorrow. But yes? You brought up the distraction issue. Yes. Um, I really, I, I, I love technology. I but... I also worry about the lack of presence in, in the moment, um, and I'm seeing it in this room right now, that when you're talking, people are doing a lot of different things, and I guess it's just part of the teaching moment, but the etiquette of when you use it, mm -hmm. and when it's rude and when it's not rude, and Absolutely. You know, texting while you're trying to carry on a conversation at dinner, and all of that kind of stuff, yes. but the more stuff you have... Right the parameters don't seem to be there. We're not teaching them. And we've got to teach the parameters, right? We can't ban the phones in schools because how are the kids going to learn what's appropriate? Nothing says I'm not listening to you to my wife at night than getting this out and looking at it, okay? In fact, I, I had 25 elementary ed female pre-service teachers at North Texas last semester, and I said, use this as a litmus test when you're on a date, okay? And actually, some of them were married, so with your significant other, your spouse, you know, whoever you're with. If they can't give you their full attention for that meal, you know, without getting out their device or taking a call or whatever, I mean, that speaks volumes. The, one of the most precious gifts we can give is our attention. We've only got so many heartbeats. To give you my full attention is a real gift. However, in school, we're used to control. I get to control you for all 45 minutes or all day or whatever. You can't, you can't do that with um, everybody's brain. How, how soon does it take when you're listening to a sermon or listening to a speech by somebody that, you know, your brain starts to go somewhere else? We need to practice listening. We need to practice focusing and giving our attention. But at the same time, as teachers, we need to recognize the best way to teach. I mean, this is so true in, in uh, graduate studies. Who's taken three-hour graduate classes, right? How's that third hour working for you, you know? <laughs> Who's been teaching that? It's so hard because our brains do not, you know, attend for three hours, you know, nonstop. It, it's going to work in chunks. So it's a really good point. How do I balance the tools with the opportunity to let people interact? I think we lose some of the experience um, of, of a class if everybody's either on their screen or on their cell phones or listening or studying or all doing different things. 
Right. I think we use that, lose that communal experience. I mean, it was great to see the picture of your Thanksgiving, but in a way it made me sad. Right. And if we don't take control of that, that's where it's sad. Right. Because where it's not sad is when we put away our devices and we're not and we are, you know, connecting. And after the fact, you know, I've got a a, um, three month old niece who was in intensive care last week. And, you know, we're getting updates via Facebook. I mean, it's not. And, and either or that we just lose all that connection. But I believe we need to be deliberate and intentional with our technology use. I could say right now, and I'm not going to, but I do sometimes. All right, lids down. Okay? Lids down. And even in a one-to-one, that's an important thing for teachers to know they can do is to be able to say lids down. There's a time for lids down. But there's also, and this is where it's messier and harder, an important role of saying, here's our topic, here's what we're going to study, here's how um, we're going to, engage in dialogue about this and we're going to create things together, that's a very different learning environment than the stand and deliver model. Can I add a point of thought to that? I think it's also important we model that as adults. That one of the problems that I've seen, um, the number of meetings I've sat in where um, someone is, 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 is ranting on about how we can't have the cell phones in schools, and then the first thing that happens is that someone that, that perceives their importance, their phone rings and they walk, they, they walk on the corner and talk, or they start texting or checking their email. Um, and I think that's really important that we as adults do that with students as well. If you're in a classroom where you're talking about how important it is that for the students to pay attention, the first thing that happens is that you're grabbing your phone or you're letting your email distract or doing that. I think the, the adult piece of this is extraordinarily important, and we have um, uh, an affirmative duty as, as, as teachers to be modeling those good habits for students as well. We'll go here. You had a comment in the back, and let's go to Karen. Karen, you want to jump in? Well, I was going to jump in, but you kind of made my point that, you know, when a lot of schools start to embrace integration and they're changing the pedagogy, um, it's a struggle for teachers as they move from traditional teaching to using that technology to understand that sometimes we don't have to have technology in the room at that particular juncture. If the activity is better done without a laptop or without the technology, then do it that way. You don't have to because every student has something that they bring to class, have to open it up every day and use it. Um, and it, it is a struggle. And I see that a lot with schools um, that are getting into one-to-one the first year, not only how to teach differently, how to keep student attention with these devices, uh, but also how to assess differently and how to continue, how to use the devices in a way that assesses um, not just at the end with the big test, but what can you do with that to provide assessment as you go along to see if students are paying attention and are understanding the material and then being able to come back um, and, and hit those areas where they aren't understanding. And sometimes it might be because they're not listening or they're not paying attention and, and trying to regroup without that technology can, can, you know, can help that piece. Good point. Here in the back or our back table? In the purple? I, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Tell me your name. Did you want to chime in on that? No? Yes? Right. 
a classic story of this is an AT&T uh, sales group meeting with a VP for our region. All right, and I was so proud. You would think working for AT&T for two years, and I did love working for the company. It was great. I learned so much. A wonderful team. It was awesome. But um, <laughs> this was not one of the stellar moments. I was I was proud because I had invested in an AT&T data card. Okay, this USB card. I was paying sixty dollars a month, my own money, to have it. But I was going to be able to take notes and look stuff up, and you know, during the meeting. And the executive VP who's flown in was maybe from St. Louis. You know, looked at me and said, "No laptops." At the beginning of the meeting. And it was like, buddy, you have no clue how I learn, do you? Because when I write down what you say, I process it at a different level, and I will also probably share it with others. And, I mean, that was just such a clear thing. So we make judgments all the time when we look at people, and we need to be aware of different learning styles and what does engagement look like? We, we tend to think engagement looks like, you know, being still or taking notes, you know, not drooling and having your head fall back. I mean, <laughs> the quiet room, all neat rows, paying attention to the instructor. And as leaders in our buildings, and we're going to get to this, we need to not have that, that image in our brain as what we should see in every classroom. Oh, they're not quiet. Well, wait a minute, what are we doing? Is, you know, learning sounds different than silence in a lot of cases. And so that's a big piece of the, of the leadership. I want to show a video that's on our list, and this is one I took in Maine, at Yarmouth, Maine. I was there with uh, my daughter, Sarah. This is a minute and 20 seconds. I shot this on my iPhone. Ben Nickerson is going to be talking. He and other students at Yarmouth were leading a tour. There was a group of about eight folks from Sweden who were going to be doing a one-to-one -one initiative. You probably know the state of Maine under the leadership of Angus King was our first state in the nation to say, wow, the world has really changed and we've got to change schools. We've got to provide as a state a laptop and a wireless learning device for every student in the state. And I think Idaho just announced, didn't they, an, an initiative It's not just focused on technology. What Ben, well, my question to you is, what, what's the key message you hear Ben saying in this 80-second uh, video? point of view in our school has been the faculty now assign content and say that you have to demonstrate mastery over this content, but how you choose to do that and the medium that you choose to use, be it GarageBand or iMovie or the new iMovie or JClips Online or whatever, whatever kind of media you want to use, that's up to the student to decide and whatever works best for them. So the students here are really learning how they learn in a sense and learning what works for them. And the, the teachers are shifting towards just assigning content and not saying that you have to make an iMovie that has this, this, and this with this type of clips. It's just you have to somehow show that you have mastered this material and the requirements for media she gives examples and gives suggestions in a lot of cases, but it's hardly ever that you have to use this this tool or this software in this way. It's really up to the students to decide what works best for them or what works best for the material that they're trying to show, because a lot of it's depending on the content. And that's been a huge shift, and I think it's been a really beneficial shift for from, from the students' perspective and from the teachers' perspective also. They've been doing a one-to-one -one initiative for eight years at their school. All right? right now on Twitter, I would like for you to put in um, what you think your takeaway was from, from Ben's talk there.
okay, type MT Vision, and then in the remaining 140 characters that you have, what did you hear him say? What was one of the, uh, the messages or the takeaways from that short video clip? Good question from Rob. So when is it that students learn the tool? How do, how do we do that? Um, one of the problems with our current mindset is we think that, oh, that's over in the technology class. Okay, That's where it gets done. Um, it needs to happen in the regular class, but you also have got, you've got to build literacy. If kids don't know how to use a tool, do we provide avenues for them to do that? Um, at Yarmouth, they have a student support team. Um, you're going to have to teach tools at some point. Of course, this is eight years into their project, so. But Wes, also, you know, keeping in mind that allowing students to learn tools and then bring them to the classroom also, you know, it's not always about the school teaching the tool, but students are using tools every day that they are not using in school. Uh, and, and many of the tools that they're using, they're exploring on their own. And being able to make the choice to use a tool that they like or are comfortable with or, or know how to use that may not be exactly the tools that they've learned in school can really be powerful for them because they can showcase their knowledge to other students and be, you know, and, and also be a reference and a resource in the classroom. Um, is W.L. Weber here in the room? Where is W.L. Weber? Does anybody know? Bill Weber? He's at an, I think he's in Helena. Okay. Uh, so Helena, is, that's what the, oh, he's in Billings? All right. Can you elaborate? All right, Bill, could, can you elaborate on that, or are you willing to elaborate? His, his thing was he's not sure about the concept of learning styles as a, as a justification for technology. Could you elaborate on that a little bit, Bill? We're putting him on the spot. Yeah, I can do that. Uh, I don't know, it's just looking at the stuff the learning style, and I don't know, to me it just seems a little too easy. Uh, I mean, I don't know, I just, I guess personally, I don't argue uh, we should use technology, I mean, there's some other things going on with motivation, for example. But I, just, I don't know, I just, I guess I have a fundamental belief that learning is tactile to kinesthetic. I mean, a person can't. Uh, learn something by just reading it. Uh, can't really learn something by just watching it. The person actually has to go through and do the process. Great question and a great discussion to have. What is learning? Is learning doing? Is learning watching? Is learning hearing? Um, some people think the whole learning style stuff is too fluffy, right? That's just that's just fluffy. Come on, read the text, read the book, do the studying. You know, do the learning. Anybody else want to chime in on that question about learning styles and how that intersects with technology? They're in Billings. Anybody else want to chime in? Is this an important question? This is a huge question. It's a very important question. And probably the most important questions for us to grapple with aren't going to be, how did I get your device on the wireless network? You know, it's questions like this. How do we learn? How do I structure my class? What tasks do I create for you or assign for you to help you learn this material and acquire these skills? 
Yes. It seems like technology is what allows you to get those different learning styles. If someone truly is a tactile learner and wants to do it a different way, technology allows you to integrate that into your classroom, as opposed to saying, here's a book, read it, and test. If the kid says, well, I'd rather do this, they will video it, put it on my blog, and then we'll break that Giving kids options to make stuff is really important. I don't have a whole thing on Scratch, but if you don't already have an after-school club at your elementary schools for Scratch, do it. Okay? Find someone passionate, hopefully maybe some parents, people who are passionate. Over a million projects have been shared here. This is a free programming language that you can tell stories, you can create games, you can do all kinds of things. It's descended from Logo. If you remember Seymour Papert and the Logo movement? Mitch Resnick and others at MIT have created this. And so to your point about technology being a way of, of making stuff, yeah, let's give a, an option to make something. Can I answer this multiple choice qu you know, quiz? Yeah. But does that give you a window into my learning? Hopefully. There are other ways to get windows, too. All right, we've got 25 minutes before lunch. And what we have planned for this portion, and probably like... We all do when we prepare. We've got more material than we'll have time for. Um, we are going to share a little bit of a presentation called Social Media Guidelines for Schools. And the part that I really want to, so Karen, help me get to this point. By 10 minutes till, I want to get to our uh, role play, uh, to finish off with the, with the last 10 minutes with our role play. So I don't know if you all have selected there in uh, Billings, your tech coordinator. Uh, we've already heard from Bill. He may feel the pressure to be the one, but Bill, you don't have to. It can be somebody else. Um, and we're going to need somebody to be the principal in Kalispell. Uh, Karen is going to chime in here as well. But this is a, um, a presentation that we... Uh, put together, we did it originally two years ago at the National Computing Conference and uh, have shared it in some other venues and most recently on Monday we were in Amarillo, Texas at a um, region-wide conference and, and so we thought we would, we would tie some of this in because it fits. Uh, so Karen, you want to take the little introductory part here and we'll try as best we can to bounce off each other. It's a little more challenging with video, yeah, but we'll try. I'm, I'm having difficult seeing your content so... Um Oh, you've got the slides up, right? Yes, the, the wordle's up there. I'll... Okay, there we go. Um, actually, this, this actually came from, originally, Wes um, and I came across the IBM social media guidelines that IBM had crafted for their employees. And we were discussing this and thought, wow, every school ought to be looking at social media guidelines like this for parents and students and teachers to not have policy that says don't be using social media in your schools, but really um, how can you use social media effectively and how do you represent yourself in social media? So what IBM had done was they put up a wiki and they asked originally for employees to get input on blogging for a blogging policy. And from that, they created their policy, that their guideline that, that talked about if you're blogging, you know, you don't want to put out proprietary information about the company, you want to represent yourself, you want to be professional, but, you know, really common sense types of things, but now they had something in place for their employees. After two years, they realized this has really gone beyond blogging. There are virtual worlds, there are um, social media sites like Facebook that our employees are involved in, so they, they repeated the process got employee input, and then created a social media guideline. So Wes and I um, really were looking at this, and that's what we submitted to the ISTE conference two years ago, was a discussion 
about social media guidelines in schools. And are you talking about this? You know, or are you burying your head in the sand and pretending that, you know, that these don't exist? So um, I know we're going to run through this very quickly, Wes, I guess I can see now. Headlines, case studies, and conversation catalysts. Um, we really are, have been talking about this as a call for action. We don't have the answers. We don't know the right thing for every school's culture. But schools should be discussing in some way the so use of social media. And because of the number of students and teachers and parents on things like Facebook and Twitter, um, what is the guideline at school? Are you using blogs? Are you using wikis with your students? And, and if students or parents are asked to interact in these places, What's the guideline for that interaction? You know, just as you know, we all need guidelines when it comes to that. You know, we were talking before about netiquette. I think you know that's really what we were getting at. Um, and our students sometimes don't learn netiquette very well at home or from each other. And you know, we, we look to our teachers oftentimes, and sometimes our teachers that's not a piece of what they're bringing to the table. Um, but if they're trying to use these, rather than be under the radar using some of these tools with their students, what is our policy or our guideline of using those tools? So excellent. I can't read any of that. No, that's okay. I'll, I'll take some of the headlines. So um, you know, people in schools are all over the the map with this. Uh, we've got schools in Oklahoma blocking all video sharing sites, all blogs, all wikis. Our Oklahoma Voices site, 840 plus videos, all blocked. Right, that's my home district actually that my kids uh, currently are in. Uh, worked on that, still working on that. Uh, but we're all over the place. Why? A lot of it's fear and a lot of it's liability concern. I mean, we can kind of go through the reasons. But um, Facebook exceeded Google in page views in the last quarter of the year. I mean, that's kind of amazing. People have ever, you know, how could there be a post-Google world? Well, Google's not going away. But the rise of social media and social networking um, is a big deal for a lot of different reasons. Um, Facebook now, you can all immediately go to their statistics page and see, you know, the millions of active users, how many friends folks have. Friends. Um, <laughs> how many of you have shared a picture on Facebook in the last month? Anybody do that over the holidays? Karen, do you remember? I'll put you on the spot. But what, what was that stat on? Oh, there it is, 750. It's, it's on there. It's 750 million photos were uploaded uh, New Year's Eve or New Year's weekend. 750 million photos. I mean, think about that number. And and so, you know, and, and it's so easy now with cell phones and your computer and you know being able to just send your photo right to Facebook and um, and then the collection of that. And then you know the way that we're archiving our world. You know, I mean, being able to look at what your your friends or your family across the country or across the world did New Year's Eve that quickly and know what you know by a photo. What they were, what they were up to that night. This particular slideshow, by the way, is shared on our website as a Google presentation. So while I'm playing this off of my um, computer, it's definitely. Uh a good example of how a presentation in its entirety uh, can be shared, and we'd welcome you to take this and, and go back. We want you to have conversations about this. Virginia has some folks overreacting now. Uh, they were considering and hasn't passed yet, but on January 9th, um, actually restricting all teachers and board uh, employees from any electronic communication outside accounts and platforms provided by the schools. Statewide. Now, this was in response to 120 actions the state has had to take against employees for sexual misconduct against minors since 2000? 
so in 11 years, we've had 120 situations involving inappropriate behavior. So as a response, we're going to ban everyone in the school or in connected to schools from doing anything with social media. This is a, a stupid idea. Um, <laughs> we were... Um, in Amarillo on Martin Luther King Day. Karen, you want to briefly mention this oh, project? Yeah, because we were presenting on Martin Luther King, we put this in there. I came across that several states had service projects, and the National Martin Luther King Service Project was promoting the use of Twitter and Facebook and other social media for these projects. And uh, they had a hashtag that you could follow. Um, but the, the, really the underlying thing here was that all of these statewide projects are realizing the power of social media, and they're promoting this and, and putting out their instructions for service projects on how to promote their project, how to bring people into the project, how to discuss the project, and really amplify how wonderful this day of service was for those people who participated. The constructive use of the tools, right? We were talking about this with oral history earlier. We need to find ways in our communities to plug kids and teachers into constructive projects and then amplify them. Because what do you think the media is going to amplify? The locker room photo, the video that was taken of the fight outside school, all the negative, right? Who's going to amplify the positive? We are. And we all have more access to powerful tools than ever before. There's some more statistics here about millions of people on Twitter. Um, we do want to let you know the Twitter for Teachers Wiki is a great resource to find teachers in your content area. Okay, share this with your teacher. You're a drama teacher. You're not. You're a coach. You're an athletic director. Here's other athletic directors on Twitter. It's twitterforteachers.pbworks.com or just Google Twitter for Teachers Wiki and you can find it. Um, let's talk a little bit about case studies. We've got five minutes, and we're going to go to our uh, the interactive one. Um, I'm not going to show this video, but just tell you the quick story. Uh, Pop-Up School was a presentation at the Creativity World Forum in November. We had students in Oklahoma schools, in Howe, Oklahoma, specifically southeastern Oklahoma, school of, I think, about 400 students. We have lunch, uh, do we want lunch over in that over there or just right here? And we had kids in London, England, and these kids were doing a project about creativity. They connected with Skype. They connected with their blogs. Then they got to come together at a conference and help share what they've learned, but also help document the event. And we've got a video link to an interview with those kids. Sorry. Um, you know, using flip video, we're going to be using cameras and, and, and still cameras and video cameras this afternoon to uh, interview each other and to document. Karen's got her flip there. Uh, and so the question is, how would kids at your school do with this project, even if you look at content filtering alone? Would your content filter permit students to access that? Um, this is a scenario that I, uh, I heard about this last year. Because of the privacy and confidentiality issues, the teacher did not want to disclose the student's name, and I'm not even going to disclose the location where this happened. But I used a, a tool called, uh, what's it called, Karen? Extra normal. Thank you. Extra normal. Who's heard of this? It's called text to video. So let me just show the video and you'll get the idea. Oh my goodness. I can't believe he wrote that on his MySpace page. I better call his dad. Hello, this is Ron Smith. Hi, Mr. Smith. 
This is Dave Montego, your son's math teacher. I was just calling because I saw something that concerned me on his MySpace page. Do you know if Joseph is at home now? I think so. He got home from school a few hours ago. What did you see on his website? He wrote something about hurting himself and said goodbye to his friends. Do you think you could go check on him? Of course I will. Can you hang on a minute? I'll go up to his room and check. <laughs> Mr. Smith, are you there? Can you hear me? What's going on? Mr. Montego, I'm going to have to go. I've got to take Joseph to the emergency room right now. It looks like he took a bunch of pills, and he's passed out in his room. Thank you so much for calling. We've got to go. All right, Mr. Smith. You all go. Please give me a call later and keep me posted. I will. You can count on it. Thanks. In most of our Oklahoma schools, even the school counselors can't have access to Facebook. The law enforcement officials in many schools who are assigned to schools know more about what's happening with kids because they're connected via Facebook and MySpace, but Facebook more today, um, than many of the administrators and parents do. So. Please use that scenario as a catalyst for conversation. That is a true story. Um, you know, would the child have died absent the teacher's phone call? I don't know, but it was a suicide attempt. And the fact that the teacher was connected to kids um, raises a lot of issues. Okay? We need guidelines for this. Do you have guidelines in your school for friending kids? Do you ever run into kids at the mall? Are you responsible to handle yourself professionally when you're in a public space and you encounter your students? Of course. So in the professional space, how do we handle that? That is a part of this conversation. Um, this is where I wanted to get, and I think we've got about 12 minutes, so this is good. Um, Karen, you want to set up our webcam photo scenario? Uh, sure. This, um, this is actually also a true story about a school that, uh, in order to make AYP and math class, started a netbook project and passed out netbooks to all freshman students. Um, one of the students in math class took a photo using the camera on his netbook. It was not by anyone's estimation an inappropriate photo. It's just as if I had, took a picture right now of all of you sitting in the room and uh, he posted his photo to Facebook. Um, excited about having a netbook in class, excited about things that were going on in school, and posted the photo. Um, no one knew he had done this until the, a parent of one of the girls in the picture called the school principal and said my, she had gotten a call from someone and her daughter's photo was up on Facebook and she didn't appreciate that and wanted the photo taken down. And so the school not having, I mean, they do have a media release policy, but that's photos and video taken by the school, not by other students. Um, so they weren't sure how to handle this. And so our role play then is to um, discuss amongst yourselves and also with our five people um, what you would do in this situation. Um, how would you deal with this um, as the principal, as the tech coordinator who was brought in to talk with the principal, as the two parents and also as the student? What are your responses to this?
Okay, so I'm going to invite Jeff to come up, who's going to be our student, and Jennifer to come up, who's going to be the parent of Jeff, who took the picture. Karen is going to role play the parent of the child whose photo was taken, and we'll probably start with Karen, and we're just going to kind of do a little round robin, and we'll have you all guys, if you'll come up here, kind of the podium, our cameras are shooting up here. Um, Kalispell, do we have a volunteer who will be our principal for our scenario? Somebody who will be creative and kind of roll with this. We know we haven't yes, given you. Okay, who is our principal in Kalispell? Oh, Wes is the principal. All right, very good. <laughs> good to meet you, Wes. Um, and Billings, do you have a tech coordinator? Billings is scrambling right now. Uh, I guess I'll be the tech coordinator. This is Regina. Okay, Regina. All right. Well, very good. So um, let's start with Karen, and uh, she's going to be the parent. And um, why don't we, uh, after this, go to the principal. So we'll go to Wes and then Regina, and then we'll hear from Jennifer and Jeff, and we'll see uh, who else wants to chime in. So, Karen, take it away. Uh, well, my daughter doesn't have a Facebook, and I really don't appreciate that another student would take her picture without our permission and post that. And uh, the school should have policies about these things, and I don't understand how this could happen and no one be aware of it. And, and I want the photo taken down immediately. All right. Uh, my job to protect my daughter. <laughs> Wes, principal, uh, could you chime in on this, please? We're, we're, having, we're having a meeting together uh, to discuss this. Well, I, uh, I understand your concern. Uh, <laughs> and we, uh, at the present time, we don't have a specific policy to, to uh, not put the student photo up there on, the, uh, on Facebook. Uh, this was a project we thought was going to be very valuable to, to our school district to, to uh, uh, increase funding uh, or increase our, uh, increase our students' understanding and passing tests and so on. Um, we, uh, I will tell you, I will look into that very carefully to see uh, what it needs to do. Um, I can't promise you it's going to be down today, but uh, the picture, but we'll take a real look at it. Uh, I, I do understand your concern, and I will get back to you pretty soon. Okay, Regina, let's hear from you as the tech coordinator for the district. I think we should look at this as a real valuable learning opportunity for our school as this type of technology is out there in the real world and our students are going to have to face it every day. So not allowing them to access this type of technology is only looking for problems when they get out of school. So they'll be adults and not educated on how to use this technology. So maybe as we do our policy, maybe the parents that don't have their children in Facebook should come and help us do that policy and look at it and say, how can we teach our children how to appropriately use this technology? All right, let's, Jennifer, Jeff, one of you want to go first? Well, 
I just have something to say here because um, I don't want my son to get into trouble for what he's done because this, I was told by the principal and the tech coordinator when they were giving us this laptop that Mrs. Woodard had brought all of this technology to our school so that students would be well educated and the fact that you don't have a policy is really your problem and not my son's and he is just sharing with the world all the education that is happening at our school. <laughs> Jeff, what do you have to say for yourself in this situation? I mean, I don't know what the big deal is. It wasn't, it wasn't like she was naked, right? I mean, it was, just, it was a picture. And you should see what Miss Woodard puts on her Facebook page. <laughs> Jeff, what does what does Miss Woodard put on her Facebook page? Really, really bad stuff. Really? But, you know, what's the big deal? It was a picture. Oh, why is this... And it was a picture of them in the classroom, learning in an educational environment. So, Wes, uh, as the principal, could you respond to that about your teachers and their Facebook pages? What uh, What's going on there? Well, though we don't have a specific policy regarding the use of classroom pictures uh, taken by the teacher, we do have policy to prevent... Um, use of pictures uh, that students upload. Um, so this is this is controlled by our school, and I, and I do believe that I I am agreeing with our technical uh, director here that uh, this is this is good policy at this point. Um, we don't see that it's a problem. We're not putting any personal information of the student up there or where they are. Uh, so we do have policy that covers that part. Of it. Well, let's hear from Karen, the parent. Karen, do you see this as a problem? Uh, Wes is saying it's not. Well, I, I really think that we need a better guideline on this because, yes, this time it was just a group of students in the classroom, but how do we know that students aren't going to take those netbooks into the locker room or into other places and post them? And, you know, with the kind of things that have gone on in the past in this school with bullying, you know, we just don't know what could happen next. Uh, Regina, do you want to chime in on, on the bullying issue or just add to that? Um, I think that that is a value, valuable concern that you have on the bullying issue. That happens not only online, that happens in the hallway, in the bathrooms, everywhere. And we try and watch over that. We can't be everywhere at all times. So if we take a more active role and and watch our children be a friend of theirs on Facebook and kind of and look out for them and try and teach them while, while we have them a little bit under our control, then maybe, again, when, when they are on their own, they'll make better choices. I think that as far as your photo right now, the student should take it, definitely take it down since you have a problem with it, and that, that is possible. They can take that off Facebook. And then use this as an example to start teaching our kids, okay, this this was not appropriate because this child did not agree to have you post their picture on Facebook. That's something, if you're going to post something out on the Internet about it, about someone else, and some of that someone else needs to say, hey, it's okay, you can do that. before. You, so it's a very valuable educational opportunity. Jennifer, as the parent, uh, what, what do you say to this? The tech director is asking uh, Jeff to take it down. What do you no, say? I think that's absolutely ridiculous. This happened in a classroom, and if, you, if you're in the classroom and you're using the equipment provided by the school, they need to have some kind of a, of a, a digital citizenship lesson. And if this has been allowed in the classroom, I don't think that, the, that Jeff should have to take down something that's not inappropriate. And, in fact, it sends a message 
that students, while being appropriate, are being inappropriate. And I would like the tech director to really think about what message of digital citizenship we want to send to our students. Jeff, I understand Wes pulled you into his office as the principal right after this happened. Can you recount a little bit what happened? And are you feeling like you're facing <laughs> consequences here? Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're feeling and, and what you think is happening from your Blowing perspective. Blowing up this big deal that shouldn't be. You know, look, I've got a cell phone. You, you talk about taking things into the locker room, but I, you know, what about the cell phone? Why are they giving us this technology, all these bells and whistles, and not letting us use it to its full capabilities. I mean, that's what was on the computer that was given to me by the school. And now all of a sudden, I'm getting pulled into the office and being accused of things that, that, are, that are inappropriate when I'm using the very equipment that they've given me. Wes, as the principal, can you respond to Jeff? Consequences for Jeff if he doesn't take the picture down, Wes? in this situation, are you satisfied with what's been done here? What action do you want to see taken, and, and how are you feeling right now? We'll kind of, we'll kind of wrap this up with you. I really think we, we need to get a, have a committee with parents and students, teachers, and administration to develop some kind of a guideline going forward. I would like to see this picture taken down, but, you know, I, can, I understand that this wasn't there, but, you know, I, I also want my daughter to continue to have access to the camera and the things that her netbook provides her for the learning. So I don't want a reaction to this to, to be completely blown out of proportion, but I did want to bring it to the attention of the school 
that, that there really needs to be better policies now that we have these devices in our students' hands and, and they have 24-7 access to a netbook, which some of them didn't have prior to, to this project. So. All right, let's give a round of applause to our role players. Thank you all very much. Good job. Uh, to kind of bring this uh, to a closure, and then we're going to go to lunch. Karen, uh, debrief us. How, how did this actually play out in the real situation? In the real situation, the student did take the photo down. Uh, he was asked to need her to do that. Uh, there was not a knee-jerk reaction, which was really what I was very um, happy about. We, we were guiding them on this. Um, the tech coordinator is somebody that I've been working with for about seven months now. And they did develop a very quick one-page social media guideline around the networks that went along with the responsible use policy they had created at the end of the summer. But they really, because the project went so quickly, as many do when you receive funding, they didn't have a good social media guideline. And that is on the table for next school, or during the summer, for next school year. So they put a one-page thing out, let all parents know. It was kind of an addendum to their AUP or their responsible use guideline. And, um, you know, and they're hoping to address it. But Really, it, it could have been in a large school district that could have really blown, been blown out of proportion. It's a fairly small school district. It's a rural school district. And, you know, the community is pretty tight there, and, and there was a lot of conversation that happened quickly. But um, it was it turned out okay, but they know they have work to do, and that's why we think this is a really a compelling discussion because schools need to be discussing these things. They, they need to, you cannot predict what teenagers are going to do ever no matter how hard we try, but to try to put some things in place that, you know, everyone's kind of on the same page can, can help avoid situations where, where things escalate and, and become much worse. Well, feel free to take this guideline, uh, utilize this as a role play. I think this is a fun way to use video, too. It's fun to get our other sites, you know, participating, but it's real. This can happen anywhere. Uh, it doesn't have to be when I do a laptop project. Kids already have phones and cameras and things like that. So the last thing we'll just fly through here at, at, uh, at the end. You can see our ostrich in the sand. Uh, Karen's uh, daughter has an artist friend who's drawn some pictures for us. So we do not want to be like the ostrich putting our, our head in the sand here. Uh, Francis? This house school district in uh, St. Louis has developed. It, well, go ahead. Do you want to tell real quickly about them? Yeah, they, this actually was, this is a school that I worked with. This is the district that I live in, and um, they created a committee, uh, included the CIO, the district, some parents. Um, this is not the school staff. where the role play took place, by the way. So this this isn't. No, this is they're not connected. School. No, yeah, different school. Uh, and. It's taken several months, but just last week, their board has approved two policies for social media guidelines. Uh, they started out with a, a wiki creating social media guidelines for parents, students, and teachers. Uh, got input from a lot of people, so very much similar to what IBM did. We, we kind of crafted it that way. From that, it became an internal school committee that looked at this proposed to the board. Of course, lawyers got involved, because you have to have that part. Uh, and they've just approved this, so it'll be in their school handbook for the upcoming school year. Uh, but they also, in addition to that, have created on their website um, a, mar a marketing page about social media. They have their Facebook link and their Twitter uh, address linked to their school website for school for parents that um, and community members that want to follow what's happening in the school. So they're really moving forward with the use of this. Their tech coordinators are promoting the use of certain tools and guiding teachers in the use of things like Skype in the classroom or blogs, wikis, uh, other social media that teachers may want to use. 
um, with their students. Okay, so we've got a Facebook group, which you're welcome to follow, called Social Media Guidelines for Educators, and we share related links. Hopefully, as more schools adopt guidelines and share those, we'll have folks continue to put those onto the page. Um, I don't know, we've got a few hundred folks in there. I'm not sure exactly how many. Um, Involve all your stakeholders. Get creative. Maybe you need someone to offer a, a coffee chat for parents to come in. Um, how do PTAs get parents to come to shows? They have the kids do things, right? Maybe your kids need to create a little skit. Maybe they need to make a video. Maybe they need to create things that they're sharing and then ask parents to come, and then you have a conversation. A great idea might be a panel. Why don't you get several of your students and several parents to get together before you have an issue like this and have a panel discussion about social media. What are the issues? What are the boundaries? You know, where what are we doing both on a, from a parenting side and from a school side? Let your kids teach. Kids have expertise and knowledge about these issues. It doesn't mean they know all the answers, but they can definitely highlight things that are going on, issues that need to be addressed and might be ignored currently, even by the parents that are involved. And so we want you to think about ways and share the ways you're going to creatively address this. Um, one of the last things to mention is balancedfiltering.org. Uh, when I worked for AT&T, I traveled to China and found that content filtering in one of our metro area schools was more severe than it was in China, which is a quote-unquote communist, authorit it is authoritarian, it's a weird, it's not the communism I studied in school, it's very free market oriented, but anyway, the Great Firewall of China does restrict a lot of things in, in China, but many of our schools filter more severely. And so um, we're going to hopefully see uh, a more balanced approach and promote a more balanced approach. And there's a grade card tool that I'm having built this semester to deal with that. So Story Chasers gives you some ideas probably for how to constructively think about conduct, uh, having oral history projects and other things in your community. Um, we want to amplify good ideas and encourage schools to be proactive about this. Remember at the beginning this morning, we talked about fight or flight. Okay, We can respond much more thoughtfully outside the stress of the moment than we can in the heat of the moment when the parent is in our face and they're threatening the lawsuit or whatever else could happen in that kind of a scenario. So we, we hope through our time together we're going to be amplifying many positive and constructive uses of technology, but we're not also going to put our head in the sand and pretend like there aren't issues. There are lots of issues at stake. And so as the leader of your school, of your district, of your classroom, we all have important roles to play in this. So we are going to transition to lunch. We're going to take a lunch break until 1 o'clock. Um, we would encourage you to continue visiting our, the back channel. But, hey, if you'd like to go lids down for lunch and just talk with the folks uh, right in front of you, feel free to do that. We will reconvene at the top of the hour. Uh, Nancy, would you like to share something about our lunch procedures? Um, lunches, we have staff lunches in, in the room here. But feel free, you know, there's, take, a, take a walk around and go up and see some of the, the education buildings. There's, they have some awful nice places to just sit and hang out on all three floors. So uh, get out and move around a little bit, too. All right. We'll be back at the top of the hour.